0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast.
1: Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. (laughs) Superman. Welcome to the 60th episode of Charlie's GeekCast. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer. And today, we are looking at another Superman issue from the early 80s. Specifically, issue number 390. We are near the end of 1983, folks. So I'm going to take a quick break with some promo, and then we'll be right back with our issue. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. Faster
2: than a speeding bullet. ...powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky,
0: it's a bird! It's a plane! Richard
1: Richard Pryor. Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, five minutes at a time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman. Lana Lang, a scary robot lady. And yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
2: Oh, you don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? Wiley Comet Take a drink just to Give me some weight Some Uberman I'd make up Barely a vapour They shone a chlorine Light on A host of individual Sins Let's carve my aging Face off, fetch us a Knife, start with my eyes. So the lines
1: form a grimacing smile. Superman number 390 had a cover date of December 1983, an on-sale date of September 15th, 1983, and a cover price of 75 cents. Now, despite a pretty great Gil Kane cover here, the first thing that caught my eye was the little box in the upper right-hand corner. Starting around this time, the common thing for DC covers was to put the cover price, which has gone up 15 cents, I don't know if you noticed, the issue number, the cover date, and the comics code seal of approval, all in one little white box. Sometimes it would be more of a portrait thing, sometimes landscape, uh, and they would move it around. But this is basically going to continue as the main f- one of the features of uh, DC Comics covers until January 1990, when they switch to what I like to call the DC Ribbon, on the upper left hand corner which goes through like the first half of the 90s i believe the cover price of 75 cents will also stick around for a while especially the super books as they're not going to have another price hike until we get to cover date january 1991 which coincidentally is also when they introduced the triangle numbering system for the never-ending battle a lot will change between now And when these features go away. Anyway, like I said, this is a pretty great cover with Vartox weeping over the charred and smoking corpse of Superman. Which he has apparently just killed. And believe it or not, this is a scene that actually happens in the book. Crazy, huh? Moving into the issue, we have a title called... We have a title called? The title of the issue is Lost on a Comet. With plot by Carrie Bates. Words by Elliot S. Magan. Pencils by Kurt Swan, inks by Dave Hunt, letters by Milt Snappen, colors by Anthony Tollin, edits by Julie Schwartz, and Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now, while I can't 100% be certain of who the colorist was during a lot of the issues in the 70s, and Milt and Ben Oda seem to be the main letterers for DC, at least on the Superman books, in the 70s, we basically have are reuniting of the 70s super team. We got Carrie Bates, Elliot S. Magan working together, Kurt Swann still on pencils, Julie Schwartz still editing. It's kind of interesting considering that they are trying to bring Superman into the 80s that we seem to have gotten guys that are more reminiscent of Superman titles in the 70s. Kind of weird. Oh yes, and, and of course, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Picking up where the last issue left off, We're still following that comet containing the unconscious Vartox, who's abruptly awakened and confused when he collides with and apparently bounces off of this space cruiser. Although confused by his current situation, Vartox spots the giant hole in the side of the ship and goes into hero mode. But we don't get to see what he does, because we then switch to the apartment of Lana Lang, who, by the way, is sporting a brand new hairdo that no one seems to notice. It is now longer more flowing, got some curls in it, very early mid-80s look, different than what she had. Lana and Clark are in the middle of enjoying some drinks, non-alcoholic of course, when Clark's new beeper, which is now a required item for all Daily Planet reporters, goes off. While he heads off to use the phone to see what Perry wants, Lana notices that the qualities that made her ignore Clark when they were kids are what attract her to him now as an adult. Unfortunately, she can't focus on this too much, because a masked stranger climbs up onto her balcony, trying to deliver a letter to her. Thinking it's a cat burglar, she gives him a strong kick to the chest, which sends him falling over the side. Fortunately for him, he's still attached to his climbing gear, which allows him to stop his fall, swing to someone else's balcony, and leave through the building. But where's Clark during all this, you might ask? Well, as it turns out, Perry was calling to have Clark cover a construction crane crash on a rooftop near Lana's place. After assuring that Lana didn't need any help with the masked stranger, he flew off as Superman, you know, to save the day. Didn't say goodbye. Didn't tell her he was leaving. Just left. So by the time Lana realized that the letter being delivered by the masked man was a love letter from from her secret admirer, Superman's already at the construction site, watching the crane snap free. While this would normally make his job a little tougher, energy beams stream in from above, turning the crane into balls of molten metal. After collecting the metal and cooling it down so it won't actually hurt anybody, Superman is surprised to see that they came from Vartox. But Vartox needs to have a talk with the Man of Steel, so they head north. North, Miss Teschmunker, north. Meanwhile, at a rundown... House, I think, in Metropolis, Lana's secret admirer is enjoying seeing her on the news, but disappointed when the show ends. He actually kisses Lana, and then gets upset when they move to a commercial for, is it Beans? It turns out that this guy is a bit nuts, worshiping, worshiping her image and covering a wall with pictures of her, and hoping to get a big TVN, I'm guessing a VCR so he can tape the news and literally watch her all day and night. We'll come back to him later, though, because for now, we are rejoining Superman and Vartox as they discuss Vartox's problem. See, once he used his hyperpowers to seal the hole of the ship, and it went on its merry way, Vartox realizes he couldn't remember the last place he lived. The only thing he could remember was that Superman was only about eh, 30 light years away, give or take, you know, hop, skip, and a jump. So he came to Earth hoping Superman could help him out. After a quick jaunt to save some skiers from an avalanche, they continue on their way to Superman's fortress, and Far Talks mentions he was also hoping that he could pick up the pieces with Lana. Leaving Superman in the unenviable position of having to tell him about the new man in her life. Back at WGBS, Lana is dropping off Clark's tuxedo for the awards banquet they're going to be going to that evening, when she runs into jimmy who still is amazed that someone like her would fall for a guy like clark but they're interrupted by the delivery of a package for lana it seems to be a box of chocolates but when she opens it a balloon inside fills with air revealing another note from her secret admirer while she heads to her office in disgust and with a frown on her face we turn our attention to the fortress of solitude where Vartox is taking the news of Superman as Clark, dating Lana, surprisingly well. But as they shake hands, Vartox suddenly goes into attack mode, knocking the Man of Steel out of the fortress, then using his powers to reduce our heroes to a pile of ash. And just when you think you've bought what will soon be a collector's item issue for just 75 cents, we turn the page and see Vartox and Superman still shaking hands. It was all a weird vision that Vartox decides not to tell Superman about. No need to worry him, I guess. Leaving Vartox to wonder if he's losing his mind, Superman heads back to Metropolis. Later that evening, as Clark and Lana enjoy each other's company at the Broadcast Journalism Awards Banquet, or Banquest as I've written, a mysterious stranger checks in at the guards desk as Clark Kent. But since Clark is already there, the guard's confusion tells the stranger that if he wants to see Lana in person, he'd better hurry his butt inside. But the guard catches up to him and literally throws him out of the building. But as the guard returns to his desk, he's confronted by another uninvited guest. But this time it's Vartox, and after using some sort of power whammy to knock the guard out, he phases right through the door into the banquet room. To be continued. All right, now, page one. If there is a character begging for a costume update, it's Vartox. While this may have worked as a costume in the early 70s, I'm guessing it looked a little old and out of date, even in 1983. Then again, I'm reading this in 2021 with no idea what a reader in 1983 would have thought of this costume. There's still quite a bit of blending of 70s into the 80s, but I this, uh, I just don't think that this would pass muster. I mean, if they're going to reinvent L- Lex Luthor, his, he had a pretty cool costume still. And Brainiac, well, he was wearing pink and short shorts, so I could see that redesign. But anyway, still, I hope that... Unfortunately, I don't think that they ever do redesign his costume. It's a shame. I mentioned Lana's new hairdo earlier on page five is where the first time we really see it and I believe this is basically her look for the rest of this era. I don't know if it's deliberate or not but Swan seems to also be subtly drawing her face a little different. I can't quite put my finger on it. I think there's more emphasis on her eyes and on her lips. It's like they're making her a little more glamorous. Also, this would would have to have been a wig or extensions, considering considering her hair was nowhere near this long last issue. Then, of course, there could have been a significant amount of time between the issues, so who knows? Page 12, speaking of Lana's new look, apparently there may be some retconning going on here, or there really was a significant amount of time between issues. Other than a pic of her in what appears to be her high school days, which is kind of creepy, all of the pics on her admirers wall has her with her new look. In fact, one of them appears to be from her winning the Journalism Award for 1983. Now, considering that the award at the banquet that Lana and Clark go to is for the 1984 edition of the same award, this means she's had this due for at least a year. Granted, since the award isn't named until next issue, there could have been a typo or something slipped through. And maybe they'd have to be numbering these things like they do with the sports video games these days. For example, Madden 22 will be coming out in September of 2021 or late August, something like that. So maybe it's like that because this is still 1983. We're still... I mean, this came out in September, so we're still a few months away from hitting 1984. So maybe this is supposed to be the future. I honestly couldn't tell you. All right, page 16. Wait a ticket. Wait a ticket. Wait a tick. Jimmy's not wearing a plaid jacket, it isn't even a green jacket. All right, so I'm thinking that the Superbooks must have shifted to an alternate Earth. It's the only plausible explanation at this point for such drastic changes in both of our favorite redheads. So, this must not be Earth One. This is like Earth One and a half. Maybe. Anyway, page 17. Okay, so this is starting to get a bit weird. This is the second scene transition to Superman and Vartox talking, where we don't actually see them talking. Last time we were. We focused on the ground, and we could see their shadows. This time, actually, this time we get an outside shot of the fortress. But then when we go inside, we get this great shot of their boots. But they're not talking out of their feet. This may be one of those times where someone has been brought in to help Swan update his style a bit. And he may be trying something new. But it just seems weird. One time, maybe, but more than once, and it's a weird trend. Moving to page 21, how could Vartox wake up from his vision without Superman noticing? First off, the art is showing him putting his hand up to his head, and he appears to have a little bit of a shocked expression at first, at least like his eyes like getting wider, and Superman doesn't notice this. It just seems weird. Now, maybe, maybe, because Superman thinks of this guy as a very close friend and an older hero that he can kind of look up to, maybe he's subconsciously ignoring it because he doesn't want to see his friend having trouble. But he seems to be completely oblivious to this. Moving to page 23, when Vartox enters the banquet... The table we can see appears to be occupied by Clark, Perry, and another woman, possibly Mrs. White, since we haven't seen her. Three problems with this. Number one, a couple of pages earlier, it appeared that Lana and Clark had a table to themselves. Two, since it's a broadcast journalism awards banquet, I don't know that Perry would be there Unless it's said as a guest. Three. Considering the troubles that Perry and his wife are currently going through. And the fact that she stood him up just last issue. I am not sure she would be there with him right now. Now I suppose this could just be people that look like Clark, Perry, and another lady that could be Mrs. White. But Swan has, throughout his career was almost as good as George Perez at distinguishing different people, maybe even better. Uh, Perez probably got it from Swan. I mean, you look at his, the, the model sheets he did for the Legion of Superheroes, and every one of them has a different style of face or hair so that you could distinguish them apart even if you couldn't see their costumes. There was no way you were going to think that mon or Cosmic Boy or Superboy were the same people, okay? Despite the different, the similar hair color and similar hairstyles. So here, I wouldn't think that he would draw someone, especially with all of his experience drawing Clark, Superman, Lois, Jimmy, Lana, Perry, that he would draw someone that looks this much like Perry unless it was supposed to be him then again it could have been a coloring error and maybe if you change the hair color or make it all white it doesn't look like Perry as much i could be wrong overall though this was a very enjoyable issue fairly well paced it sets up the mystery of Vartox's problem well it focuses on all the major players of the story and everyone seems to be well in character well Lana's a bit different they seem to be toughening her up here, which is pretty cool. They're having her take care of, fi- uh, take care of this, the burglar or whatever uh, at the beginning of the issue on her own without needing Superman at all. Uh, also, the art is great, again, to me. Uh, other than the weird scene transition stuff, the fight with Vartox and Superman during Vartox's vision looks a lot more dramatic than typical swan fights. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this issue must have done something right because I went ahead and read to the next issue while I was reading them rather than stopping to write up the notes and synopsis for this, issue, for this episode. So obviously it worked on me 40 some, almost 40 years later. Uh, but that's going to do it for this issue. And uh, so after a quick break, I'll be back with this issue's Meanwhile column. But playing us out is the new number one for the week of release, which is Maniac by Michael Cimbello from the movie Flashdance. So stick around and I'll be right back. Charlie's least Geekcast will return after these promos it was the early 1990s the dark
0: ages the transformers toy line was over finished without toys in the shelves to advertise the comic book series created to sell them was likewise canceled after an 80 issue run then the impossible happened i didn't believe you i thought you were lying to me Transformers were back in toy stores, and, perhaps even more importantly, Transformers were back on the comic book shelves as well. But this run of Transformers comic proved to be somewhat different than what we'd seen before. I CAN IMPLODE NEUTRONS! All of a sudden, the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons threatened to have real consequences. That was a low-yield neutron implosion! That was also the precise location of our transport! and brawn exploding off of the comic book pages with darker grittier storylines and vibrant some might even say neon colors
2: The, the very first thing i noticed was a very 90s art style
0: truly this was not your father's autobot not your father's autobot is a 13 episode limited run podcast beginning in early 2021 join me mark baker wright also known as GB Blackrock, and my brother Nick Wright, as we go through the entire Marvel US run of Transformers Generation 2, issue by issue, as we look at the series that brought Transformers back from oblivion. After this series, Transformers will never be the same. Look for Not Your Father's Autobot on Podbeam via blackrockstoybox.blogspot.com or wherever podcasts may be found. The Too Old, Too New Podcast, a show dedicated to reviewing books from the bins and recent reads. I'm Bill.
1: And I'm Seth. Be sure to listen to us on our Too Old, Too New Comic Book Podcast, where we talk about two old comic books and two new comic books every episode. Comic
0: book fans don't miss out. Too Old, Too New is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play.
1: We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. And we're back, and I've got the Meanwhile column pulled up. And boy, is that type small. Okay, well, this issue's Meanwhile column. Warning, reading this column may be hazardous to your comic reading enjoyment. If you're a purist and reject the notion that comics are a business as well as an entertainment form, please turn the page now. If you're up to facing reality, read on, and let's get on with the business at hand. So, I guess, if you don't want to hear this, you know, skip ahead. Consider this, and it's a letter to Dick Giordano. Dear Mr. Giordano, I have just read a newsletter that had that had in it the usual info on new comics, conventions, and all the information fit to print. While reading it, I stumbled across a paragraph mentioning that both Marvel and DC and the independents are coming out with more and more titles in special formats. Baxter Paper, Mando, graphic novels, and miniseries. The prices of these special formats range from 25 cents all the way up to an appalling $5.95 for a graphic novel. My God. But what I want to discuss is reports that over the summer, regular 60-cent comics are going to be hiked up to 75 cents. This is a total shock wasn't it only a few years ago that comics were hiked up to 60 cents along with raising the prices of 75 cent special comics up to a dollar or more now up to 75 cents will that simultaneously raise the prices of comics which were 1 dollar to an appalling 150 if this goes through think of all the people who won't be able to afford comics people like me who have no job and still live on my allowance with these new prices, I'm going to have to drastically cut back on the number of titles I get, including many, including many DCs. Not just me, but other underage collectors who depend on their parents for money to buy 75-cent comic books. The parents' reaction will be one of negativeness, with the parent bawling the child out because the lack of money or because comics are for little kids. There are also those who have jobs and collect comics, but now with the recession, layoffs, and lesser jobs, It's harder to make ends meet, while at the same time collect comics. Now that prices are going up, they might cut down on the amount of titles they get each month. I know it might be hard to keep the prices down, but there are ways of keeping prices down, while at the same time coming out with new comics, such as purchasing your own paper company or printing company. The question I bring up is, is raising prices really worth it? Gaining more income at the cost of the consumer? Also... I would like to ask the people whether or not they want a price hike and ask them to write in with their opinions on the subject. Please think about this, since it's the people who buy what you make. And without us, there are Go Comics. Sincerely, De Romel Valencia. No address given. Ooh, he's got opinions. Mr. Giordano re- re- uh, responds. I understand and sympathize with your frustrations, De Romel, Although your cries of anguish rings wi- ring with truth... The assumptions on which they are based are, at best, inaccurate. I think it's fair to say that price increases are inevitable for nearly all goods and services, and a price increase such as you've heard about is a certainty. I know I cannot make you like a boost in the cost of comics, but I think I should like to give you some facts that, at least, will help you understand why price, why price increases imposed by any company are made. I assure you that gaining income at the cost of the consumer is seldom, if ever, a major factor fact regular comic book prices have not increased in the last two years despite an inflation rate that has driven up the cost of just about everything else your family and DC Comics buys probably the working members of your family have received wage increases during that same period fact when the cost of producing a product or delivering a service comes so close to the money received for selling that product or service a company typically exercises one or more of three basic options Number one, raise the price of its product or service. Number two, lower the cost of producing its product or service. Three, discontinue operations and go out of business. Let's examine these options in reverse order. Option three, would you or other readers' interests be best served by discontinuing publication of comics? I don't think so. Option two, not totally within our control. Inflation has driven up cost of the goods needed to publish comics. The cost of paper, for example, is a major uncontrollable expense. Negotiated wage increases for engravers and printers are not within our control either. Our creative people also come in for their share of rate increases in the past two years. Art and script rates are up 30 to 40 percent, reprint rates up booming 400 percent. Royalty payments didn't exist two years ago. Now they take a hefty bite of DC's profit margin. You might feel that DC has more control of creative editorial increases than those that are imposed from outside, but DC must pay its creative people competitively or it's back to option three. Fact. Did you know that DC Comics receives only about 25 cents on average of the 60 cents you spent for a comic? The rest is split in some fashion between the wholesaler or distributor and the retailer, Without this selling commission, the comics simply wouldn't reach comic shops or newsstands. This 25 cents has to pay for the efforts of the 1. Writer, 2. Artist, 3. Litterers, 4. Colors, 5. Editors, 6. Promotion staff, 7. Sales and promotion staff, 8. Engraver, 9. Paper supplier, 10. Printer, 11. Office staff, 12. Shippers. What's left over, if anything, after paying overhead costs, is profit for DC Comics. And buying our own paper mills or printing plants would cost more in the short term. The cost would be in millions of dollars and wouldn't guarantee long-term savings. In fact, we used to own our own presses decades ago and sold them to hold our prices down. Perhaps you're beginning to grasp the complexity of the situation. Seeking a vote to see how many people want the price increase is futile. No one wants a price increase. Not you, not me, not DC Comics. If there were a way to decrease prices and still make a fair profit, DC would take that way. A price increase will occur only when we can no longer hold the line on the current prices and not before. Option one seems to be our only way out. If anyone could discover a better solution, it would be used, joyfully and quickly. A final word in defense of fair profit, any company that does not make a fair profit will be unable to improve its product or service. Any company that makes no profit will cease to exist. Thank you, and good afternoon. Dick. So it's fortuitous that this comes in because, it of course, it explains why the price went up. I understand the problem. I mean, currently, comics are, what, like four or five bucks now? And that's for a single issue? So this comes up every time there's a price hike. This comes up all the time these days with the price being so high and uh, the comic not getting bigger or anything like that, or coming out more often, so it's something that we'll be f- we'll, we'll have to deal with forever. Even uh, once, even if comics go completely digital, you still gotta pay because P- you got still gotta make a profit for the people creating the comics. So there you go, uh, and that's gonna do it for this episode. So I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week or two. And I will be back next time with part two of this story in Superman number 391. See you then. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright by respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's Keycast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night.